behind you, inside the hashes. It's the Air Out Podcast. I am joined by none other than the Inside the Hashes analyst, Mr. Christopher Thomas, and the CEO. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The owner, the big, the big, the ticket, Mr. Jerome Jones. Say what's up, everybody. What's up, guys? What's up? (laughs) So... Let's just go ahead and talk about it. I'm not even gonna like. I'm not even gonna give like an intro to this. The Super Bowl. I need reactions, man. Like, what, what, what did you guys think of the Super Bowl? Did it, did it, did it plan out the way that you guys, you know, thought it would? Um, you know, did the team that 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 uh, you picked to win win? What's up? I'll start with you, Chris. Well, in the back of my mind, I knew the Patriots was gonna win it. I thought that. With given history of Wade Phillips' defensive schemes, even back in Denver against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, he was going to have success because he did have really aggressive corners. He had interior alignments who collapsed the pocket, and for the most part, it did. Um, Wade Phillips did hold that Patriot offense to the least amount of points scored throughout the entire Brady and Belichick era. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be frank. It was one of the worst Super Bowls I've ever seen. The offense, especially more for the Rams, just didn't show up. And a lot of people want to coin this as, oh, it was uh, such a defensive standout. I'm just like, it was more bad offense, more particular for the Rams part than it was good defense. Wade Phillips and the rest of those guys on defense, they did their part to hold Tom Brady, Belichick, and company to 13 points. But the Patriots were still executing on third down conversions. Um, Julia Edelman won the matchups, whether it was Akeem Talib or Marcus Peters or Lamarcus Joyner on him. Sonny Michelle almost had 100 yards rushing, and Gronk just had like a big catch in the fourth quarter that got them well in the ter- well into LA territory. But that offense just didn't show up. I don't know what was the the situation with Todd Gurley, but Sean McVay said he was good. He was ready to go. I think he did a poor job of handling that. C CJ Anderson was essentially a non factor and Jared Goff was just whether if he was if he was throwing ducks, he was just flat out missing um uh, everybody that entire night. He missed Brandon Cooks on an important thir- an important throw in the fourth quarter that would have gotten him the lead, but he waited too late in terms of anticipation and the Patriot defender was able to recover and stop that. But it was an eyesore to watch and yeah, I would rather not watch that Super Bowl again for my entire life. I could do without it. Wow, that's a pretty strong statement there. How about Very you, strong. Very strong opinion from Chris over here. All right, I'm not going to go uh, all out like Chris did, but I, I will say that um, – I will give credit where credit is due. Um, defenses played very well um, on both sides. I'm not sure if you guys seen the type of defense that the Patriots were playing, but it was incredible. Um, the wide receivers couldn't get any separation. It was almost – it felt like when you looked at the defense and if you looked on CBS when it was broadcasting it, they showed a wide frame and it looked like almost all the receivers was triple covered. Like the way they was playing that zone was so tight. It was – insane like I don't think I ever seen the Patriots like run that defense the entire season um as far as me uh it was it what I expected I don't think it was 
what anybody really expected. I wanted the Rams to win because, quite frankly, I'm a Patriot hater. But I, like like everybody else, we all kind of expected the Patriots to win. Um, the drive that Brady had at, in the fourth quarter, I kind of called that out. I was like... Oh, it was like eight, seven minutes left. Um, yep, this is a this is a Tom Brady type of drive, and sure enough, he did. Um, Sony Michelle got the touchdown, and um, the Rams offensively didn't come to play. I mean, I want to put all the blame on Jared Goff. He didn't look comfortable back there, and he wasn't throwing the best throws. But you gotta remember, there was a drop catch in the end zone. That should have been caught, and I don't care how close the defense were. Like, you should have caught that pass. Jared Goff, yes, he did lob up a, a wide-open pass in the end zone. That was on Goff. But I feel like this is Jer- this was Jared Goff's first Super Bowl appearance, playing against the guy that been there nine times, I think it is now. Been there nine times. He had experience, so he had to go against that team, and he didn't have his reliable running back. And I think – all that coming in, it, yeah, it will be a, a lot of pressure on you. You know, a team that, you know, is de- is dedicated to the run game and need that running presence, um, it wasn't there. Todd Gurley wasn't there, and for whatever reason, he wasn't playing or he wasn't playing. He wasn't playing. He was Maybe he was playing Andrew. Who knows? But he just wasn't playing, and, um, I, I, and I, I understand why – Sean McVay would say that he was fine because game plan, game plan wise, you want the Patriots to still game plan for him. But um, I, I agree that I don't think he was healthy. Um, I, I can't find no other type of way to work around it because even when, even with um, CJ Anderson, he wasn't playing that much. I mean that well, rather. So. It, it was a lot of pressure on golf being a first year guy going to the uh, Super Bowl, first year coach going to the Super Bowl. You know, it was a lot of pressure on him. So I didn't expect the game to go like it was. It happened, but I kind of expected the result. I, I figured the Patriots was going to win. So that's my take on that. Well, 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 um, I understand where you guys are coming from. Um, and, and I agree. I mean, it definitely didn't pan out the way I expected it to. You know, I definitely thought there would be more points scored. Um, I think we all can agree that we kind of had in the back of our mind the feeling that the Patriots would win with the hope that the Rams would actually win. Like Jerome just said, the outcome isn't really shocking or surprising. It's kind of just the way it played out mm-hmm. um, that that was. And, you know, as far as, you know, placing blame anywhere, I don't think blame should be placed anywhere, really. Like, I think it was just a, a – because re- I'm a defensive guy, so I, I love watching that Super Bowl, if I'm going to be honest. Um, I like seeing defenses go at it and literally show that that is still the, the, the coup de grace to what football is. It's playing solid defense. If you – if they can't score, they can't beat you. That's that's my mindset, and I mean that's in any sport. If they can't score, they can't beat you. So I love I love the fact that it was a a, a very well de- uh, fought game defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't want to sit here and say that you know the the Rams offense didn't show up. Um, they had plenty of you know chances to make plays. Um, of course, yeah, but I think the Patriots also had chances to make plays and score more points as well. So I don't think it was. An offensive thing. I think it was just a, a, a situation where the defense has played extremely well. 
Um, yes, there was a drop, there were two, you know, two drop touchdown passes by Brandon Cooks, in my opinion. Um, but at the same time, if you look at those plays, you know, the defender never gave up and fought through and, and had amazing technique. Um, so I think, I think that it was a situation where the defense is kind of just, and, and we know, we know what Bill Belichick is. He's a coach who's like, what I'm going to do, I'm not going to, it's two things. This is Bill Belichick's game plan defensively is two things. One, I don't care what, you know, what, 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 I don't care about a scheme. Like, he doesn't run a scheme. What he does is put his players in the best position possible to be successful. So whatever you're good at, that's what he, you know, he tries to highlight um, within you. If you're, if you're just a, you know, a pass rusher, then go pass rush. If you can't stop the run, we won't have you in there to stop the run. If you can't, whatever. Um, but what he does, he just, he enhances what you're good at. And number two, he takes away what the other team is good at. You know, C.J. Anderson and Todd Gurley could not find any room. Um, you know, so so I, I think it was just more a a, a, a uh, well-fought defensive game. Um, you know, I agree to the fact that, you know, Jared Goff is still a young quarterback. His first time in the Super Bowl, um, you know, you know, kind of – I don't think he ever was able to get into a rhythm. Um, I think it really comes down to what, what Sean McVay kind of alluded to after the game where – he just got out coached. I think he got out coached, and I think it, it was a situation with, with him as well. He's a young coach in his first Super Bowl going against arguably the greatest, you know, football coach of all time in Bill Belichick. And, you know, I think it was just a situation where they just weren't prepared to get smacked in the mouth the way they did on, on defense because they had been steamrolling teams pretty much all season. And, and I also agree with you, Jerome, that Todd Gurley, I think, honestly, he was much more unhealthy than – um, then, then we then we know only because he wasn't cutting the way we see him cut. Um, he was actually because Todd Gurley is he's I'll I'll run away from you, I'll run around you, and I'll break tackles. But he's not an outrun through you guy. But what I saw on the Super Bowl was he's trying to run through people. I'm not saying that he can't, but he just doesn't do it. But he was trying to run through people, and I'm like that's not his game. So clearly he's not able to cut and be as shifty as. Um, as he can, as he, as he, as he is usually, and I think he, you know, I saw him look down at his knee a couple times throughout the game. So, um, yeah, I just think it was a situation where the two defenses just came to play, and that was it. They were like, you know what? It's the last game. You know, we're we're going all out. However, you know, it, it was it was cool to see history. You know, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. You know, they they're not tied for the most Super Bowls in NFL history, along with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tom Brady has obviously the most. You know, as a player, so amazing and kudos to him and you know to that organization. But with that being said, I mean we already know how Chris feels about it, so there's no real need to ask <laughs> ask him. But Jerome, was that the worst Super Bowl ever? I mean, the the polls are are, are out and people are like, kind of like Chris, like I'm ne- I never want to see a Super Bowl like that again. I never want to rewatch that one. It was it was horrible. Was that was that the worst Super Bowl ever? It was a really, 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 really bad Super Bowl as far as the way that the season was setting up the Super Bowl. And I think that's what most people are looking at. Is there were so much points during the regular season being thrown up. Um, you had 80-plus games, the Rams and Chiefs game, which was a high-scoring game. You had the Saints. You had the Chiefs, Rams, um, a whole bunch of teams just scoring, scoring, scoring. And then you get this... Super Bowl and you got three to thirteen, so like 
I think that's th- with that factor and the fact that that halftime show was trash. It was <laughs> trash. So I think like the combination, I think like a lot of people are feeling like it was the worst Super Bowl. I will say that's not the worst Super Bowl. I've seen Super Bowls where there was complete blowouts and by the fourth quarter, everybody's like, eh, like at least this one was close enough where in the fourth quarter, you still had your eyes on the Super Bowl. Like you didn't keep your, you didn't go away. Like, ah, oh, this is, this is done. Like it was three, three throughout three quarters. And then it, the Patriots kind of like, you know, start scoring at the end. I wouldn't say it was the worst one. It wasn't a good one, but I wouldn't say it was a, it was the worst one. <laughs> okay. Chris, anything you want to add? Yeah, I'll still say, because I sat through Seattle and Denver with the hope of Denver possibly getting um, Manning his second ring and just to have Seattle, the LOB, um, just completely dominate him. And I also sat through Denver and Carolina, which I thought Cam with having the MVP season that he had, had he had, he was going to bring that first title of Carolina only for Von Miller to continue his war path from the AFC title game and even the divisional round to just punch Carolina in the mouth. But there was really no highlights in this game. I just, just none. There was like good defensive plays, but it's like they were just technically sound defensive plays. And the only highlight of the night was the Rams punter got John Hecker, (laughs) 65 yard. He almost got MVP. Yeah. (laughs) Almost got an MVP by just kicking a 65 yard punt. There was no noticeable there was no noticeable highlights in that game at all. The only one you could really think of was probably the Rob Gronkowski catch. Um, it was just, like I said, it was to me it was more bad offense because you had two of the top five best offenses in football and probably the second best offense in the, in the AFC, obviously behind Kansas City, and also the best offense in the NFC. And you're only manufactured 16 points combined in front of it. And defense isn't really neither one of their calling cards. So that's why to me it was the worst Super Bowl of all time because there was just no redeemable highlights or memories about this outside of that 65-yard punt. I will say this. After this Super Bowl, I personally getting a little scared because I feel like the NFL is going to look at this like, how did this happen and change the rules somehow? Because you know they want to make the offense like – <laughs> more potent so they've been doing this for the last couple of years making the off like so many things go f- to the offense so I feel like they're gonna try to do something and it's just uh no well I mean I, I agree Jerome and I think that that's probably a possibility I hope not but for me again I, I don't I don't agree it's not the worst that I've ever seen I don't even think it was bad I, I loved it I loved every second of it because because I had to tune in for every second of it. And that's what I want from football. I don't want to sit there and, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, this is blowout or whatever, such and such. I want to be locked in the entire time and have to wonder what's going to happen up until the last second. And that's what happened for me. Number So that's number one. Number two, again, as a defensive guy, that's, I, I love that. So, you know, you're saying there were no marquee highlights. To me, there were so many highlights because as a defender, specifically a corner, you know, a defensive back, you know, there were there were plays that were being made. I was just like, wow, these guys are playing extremely sound football, you know, technique-wise. You know, the sideline pass to Brandon Cooks, that was broken up. And then the the, the, the fact that, uh, you know, Jason McCourty got back in time. I mean, he got on his horse to run back to, to knock that 
you know, pull uh, Brandon Cook's arm is down at the Goff. back of the end zone on on the wide open. Uh, yeah, I understand down. that, but no, but that was just more of a bad pass by Jared Goff. Like Brandon Cooks, like if you hit him right down the seam, that's a Brandon Cooks touchdown. Rams are up seven three. I agree with that. But yeah, the fact that the anticipation just wasn't there, McCourty was able to oh snap! I got I got like got like a few seconds to get here. Bam. I get, I get I get that it was a bad throw. However, I'm not I'm you're missing the point. I'm what I'm saying is it's about the defender. The defender in that moment realized he had the IQ and the awareness enough to know that ball is floating. He didn't give up. How many defenders have we seen see that and see that guy wide open and say, "Ah, man, I, that's it, touchdown." Or slow up or pull up right at the last second. He did not. That's, that's textbook technique. That's excellent coaching. That's excellent heart and discipline to run through the football, through the whistle. That, to me, was a highlight. I don't care how you try to spin it. I know it was a bad throw. And everybody, and Jared Goff and his mom knows that it was a bad throw. But Jason McCourty and his brother and Bill Belichick and the Patriots know that was an amazing defensive play to not give up and get back there and do what you had to do to break that up because it looked like a surefire touchdown, but he did not give up on the play. So... To me, that that those things, those little things, those little details on defense, those are the things that I love to watch. Okay. As Drew was saying, that they were playing zone and it looked like everybody was covered, everybody was glued to, but they're playing zone. And the little stunts that they were running on the defensive line, everything about it was just amazing to me. And then even vice versa on the, on the Rams side of the football. I mean, obviously, you know, Julian Edelman did his thing and he went off. Um, but at the same time, you know, they, they didn't allow him to, one, him to score. You know, they only allowed the rushing touchdown to, to Sonny Michelle, and, you know, that was because of a, a phenomenal pass and catch by Gronk. But other than that, I mean, they pretty much held him in check. Tom Brady didn't throw a touchdown. He threw a pick on the first drive of the Super Bowl. I mean, those, to me, again, I, was, I, I love games like that. Those games where I have to tune in and the defenses are, are battling and the coaches are going at it. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I think that it was a phenomenal. And then there's, there's rumors out there that, you know, Josh McDaniels kind of threw out his game plan in the fourth quarter and was just kind of going off the cuff. And, I, you know, one, I, I kind of believe it. Um, and two, yeah, I, one of the things yeah. that I love to watch was how they ran the football um, and how the, the, the offensive line, just the scheme of the offensive line was so phenomenal to me because it looked like the same play over and over, but it wasn't, and and I, I love that. Like, Josh McDaniels did his thing, so he deserves some credit for that. Okay. Then maybe that's where we defer. You're more of a defensive guy. I'm more of an offensive guy. So, but I have seen defensive wars. Like, we've seen wars within the black and blue division where Ray Lewis and Troy Palomalu and those 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 hard hitting Steelers Ravens games, uh, the even the old um, LOB taking on the 49ers, Harbaugh and Carroll defensive battles. Maybe I'm a little bit spoiled from like seeing that. I was like, okay, a 23 to 20 game, but they fought hard for all of those points. Maybe maybe I'm just spoiled. Maybe I'm just spoiled from that, and maybe it's because I've seen that growing up more that has moved me to like okay those are defensive struggles this game was just more bad offense than it was a defensive struggle maybe that's just me yeah and like i said it's all about perspective it's definitely all about perspective but for me it was a defensive struggle the entire way i mean from the coaching 
all the way down to the play on the field. Like I said, it was every single play. And like for me, like I said, it was like it was always I was always waiting for that moment. Like who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Who's going? Which offense is going to be able to? Because the, the defenses were playing lights out. Which offense is going to be able to break the you know break 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 open and break through the 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 the, the veil? And it was just it it, it kind of it never really happened. Even with the catch, you know, to Gronk. I mean, that was just a one phenomenal pass, gone. And then the catch itself, I mean, there's not too many people in the league that are, are making that catch. I'm just going to be honest. Um, to, you know, to, to sell out and, and, and do and, and go out go out and, and go after that catch. I mean, it's just, just phenomenal. And for the game to turn out the way it did, like I said, I, to me, it was, it was, a, it was a phenomenal game. However, um, Chris brought up a point, well, and, and Jerome, you kind of seconded, you know, uh, Mr. Mr. Hacker almost won the MVP for a 65-yard punt, <laughs> the longest punt in the Super Bowl. However, that honor went to none other than Julian Edelman, man. The guy had double-digit catches, triple-digit yards in the Super Bowl, no touchdowns. However, it seemed like he was unguardable. I mean, he was a dog out there. He was trying to truck people. He was running routes on anybody who, that, who was covering him. It just it seemed like... He was playing backyard football with 12-year-olds, and he was just getting open at will. And because of that, he ended up winning the MVP. However, some people feel that he doesn't deserve it. Some people feel that, you know, Sonny Michelle deserves it. He scored the only touchdown. Uh, he had almost had 100 yards. Some people feel that Brinkowski may have deserved the MVP because he had catches. He had the biggest catch of the game, quote-unquote. Uh, some people feel that Tom Brady deserves the MVP for leading the drive in the fourth quarter to get them into the scoring position. Um, and then, obviously, some people feel that Decker should have, excuse me, Ecker, uh, Ecker should have won the uh, the MVP for for his punt. Um, what about you guys? Like, Do you feel like Julian Edelman deserved it? Do you feel like he did enough to warrant him getting the MVP? Jerome, I'm sorry, Richard. All right, so... <laughs> I was one of the guys that say uh, Julian Edelman shouldn't have got it. Um, I think, you know, granted, he had a great, phenomenal game. He had, like you said, double-digit catches, 100-something yards. Um, but he got he got all those yards and catches through the first three quarters when they were, when they was tied 3-3. And then in my mind... Most, most viable players should be the guy that got them the win. Um, and I'm going I'm to kind of give give it a tie because I'm kind of like stuck between two. Um, Sonny Michel was one, my, my first guy. I wanted I wanted him to get it, mainly because he, he was the only one that got a touchdown in the entire game. Yes, it was a one-yard run, but he had 94 yards throughout the game. He closed out the game. Um, in the fourth quarter to get get them that win, um, he was phenomenal. I, I forgot what his, what his rushing average was. I think they say like five point eight, five point eight, which is great. Um, as a rookie running back, I think that he should have got the um, MVP. And obviously, the guy that stopped the the Rams from scoring, the only real scoring drive they had was Stephon Gilmore got that interception at the end of the game, which sealed the game. That's an MVP to me, not just stats. And, I, again, I'm not discrediting anything from Julie Edelman. The guy is a uh, – nobody can stick him. And he was killing it the entire game. But in the fourth quarter, 
I'm, that's why I'm looking for my MVP. The guy that won the game, Sonny Michelle and Stefan Gilmore. I think those two should have got it. If it was possible for me to give the Super Bowl MVP, I'd probably give it to the whole Patriot defense, if possible. Belichick and Brian Flores' game plan to neutralize that entire Rams offense was nothing sort of remarkable. It's something that also hasn't been duplicated at, since um, that Sunday night game in Chicago with Vic Fangio and the Chicago Bears defense. That being said, if I if I had a vote for who I'm going to for MVP, I'm probably going to have to agree with Jerome. Who in the guts of the game and the time when the lights are on brightest, who made the biggest play? And I still think Stephon Gilmore probably made the biggest play. And once again, it was another errant throw by Jared Goff, but even still, he made the interception. He got the ball, and the Patriots were able to just wind the clock down and kick a field goal to put it into a two-score game. But the reason why I don't have an issue with Julian Edelman getting um, essentially the game ball was whenever I saw those catches, and it's it queued up on the highlights of him, whether it be because – it wasn't just him versus Marcus Peters all night. They switched defenders. Mm-hmm. It was him versus Akeem Talib and him and Marcus Peters, him and Marcus Joyner. They threw different looks at him. And more often than not, he got open on just about ev- on anybody. I saw like one one thing where like he just had like a double move where he faked inside and continued on his out route on Marcus Peters and broke and broke a tackle for another first down. Another one where like he caught another and he just broke an arm tackle by Akeem Talib. It's just a model of consistency. And that's more of a reason why I don't have an issue with Julian Edelman winning it. The, the catches, not only that, those were tough catches. Those were yards. Those were those were yard burners, and those were like time and possessions in which, like, okay, we need to give our defense a rest. If we keep going three and out, three and out, we can gas this. We can gas this defense out. Aaron Donald and Ndamukong weren't able to get into a flow at all. Because Tom Brady was just able to get rid of the ball so quickly. And not only that, Julian Edelman was just able to make really good shifty moves after the catch to keep that to keep the drives going. Granted, they only scored 13 points, but that time of possession eventually eats up on you. And don't let don't let that one inception by Gilmore just be the catalyst of what he did because he was playing lights out the entire game. Absolutely. Great coverage. Um he had a um a forced fumble which, you know, rolled out of bounds and could have, you know, really turned the game around. He was making tackles. Um, I don't think he missed a, ta- a single tackle in the whole game. So he he was just balling out. And uh, again, I'm not a Patriots fan, and I I'm, I appreciate his his game. So it was it was really good. So okay, all right, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree and agree a little bit. So I agree that you know um, there, there's multiple guys that 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 you can make a make a case for. Um, to get the MVP, and I guess if I was going to go in ranking order, starting from from worst to first, number four, I would have to stay Sonny Michelle. Yes, he played amazing in in the fourth quarter. You know, sealing the game with his run, he did score the only touchdown. However, for most of the game, he was kind of a, a, a non-factor um, because of the way that the defenses were playing, and so. Um, I think that you know, if if he if he had won the award, obviously you know there, I don't think there would be any gripe. Um, I think he would be well deserving. Number number three, I would say uh, Stefan Gilmore. I think that he played phenomenal, as Jerome said, like the entire game he played phenomenal. Uh, and to both of your point, he sealed the game with a pick. Um, uh, to Chris's point, it was an error throw by Jared Goff, so that kind of I, I I know it sucks, but. 
it kind of diminishes it a little bit for me because um, because it was an air throw. It's kind of one of those, oh, that's the easiest pick you'll have in your, your career type picks. Um, but at the same time, you still do have to catch it. And prior to that, like I said, he still played a phenomenal game. Number number two, um, and I and I know obviously it's it's, it's kind of taboo because um, you know it's not really I guess you know possible because it's, you know it's uh, singular. Um, but it's something that we talked about last week as far as like you know what we would like to see as far as awards. And I think that the linemen, the offensive line for the Patriots, to me. Should have been in consideration for the MVP. Only because Tom Brady got what? Set, I think he only got set once that game. And it wasn't by either of the, the marquee premier guys on that defensive line. It wasn't Aaron Donald. It wasn't in Donald's too. And they, the scheme that uh, Josh McDaniels put together uh, for the offensive line, um, and for the offense in general, just it played well into that. And, you know, credit to Tom Brady, obviously, yes, for getting the the ball out fast, um, but at the same time, there were times where he did hold the ball. There were times where he was able to take his shots down the field, and that's simply because the offensive line gave him the protection that he needed. They they came ready to play. They weren't afraid. They uh, We obviously heard all the hype about Ndamukong Sue. We heard all the hype about Aaron Donald, and they said, well, we're not backing down. You got to show me why your name is Aaron Donald. We gotta, you got to show me why, you know, your name is Ndamukong Sue. So, I, I enjoyed watching that as well. But Julian Edelman deserves the MVP, without question. And I think the reason is because it's MVP is most valuable player. Not most valuable player in the fourth quarter. It's the most valuable player for the, for the game. And for that game, without question, Julian Edelman was the most valuable. And he was literally unguardable the entire game. To Chris's point, there was nobody that you could put on him that could guard him one-on-one. They tried to single cover him. I don't understand why, but whatever. Um, and he made, like I said, he made those guys look like children. But the biggest thing was the yak. It was the yard after catch. It's not like he was just racking up catches and going down. He was breaking tackles. He was making moves. He was picking up first downs. He kept the momentum going. And what happened was because of what he did, it opened up certain areas for Gronkowski. It opened up certain areas for or certain running lanes for um, for uh, uh, Sonny Michelle. And more importantly, it acted somewhat like a running game because the running game wasn't really strong throughout the entire game. It acted somewhat like a running game. The three-yard catch here, the four-yard catch there, the six-yard catch there. It was just, to me, he was like, it was like a, he was a tactician in the way he ran his routes and he was a dog when he got the ball. So, um, I think, yeah, I think that Julian Edelman definitely deserved it because without question, I think he was the most valuable player on the field during that game. Um, because if he wasn't there, I don't think they win. I, I'm just gonna be honest. I don't think they have another receiver on that team that could have done what he what he did. So, um, yeah, no, I, I I agree that I think that it had to go to to um, to Julian Edelman. Congratulations to him on winning that MVP. He's considered quote unquote old guy because he's, he's over thirty, but he showed that he still got the legs and the juice to do it. Now. Another old guy considered uh, in the league who still has the juice because he's but he's over thirty. We talked about him before. We talked about him a lot. Um, he's considered large in part to be one of, if not the best receiver in the NFL at this current moment. And his name is Antonio Brown. He is in the headlines again, and it's again not for the best reason. 
rumors are suffering that surfacing that Antonio Brown may be arrested, may be charged with domestic violence. And this is all coming after obviously the turmoil in Pittsburgh with, you know, his role I guess on the field and within the organization and the Steelers clearly look like that they're looking to, you know, get rid of him and, and trade him. So obviously the biggest question right now is with these rumors looming, with this issue with this possibly being an issue and with his age quote unquote being a factor as well as his contract, Chris, I'll start with you. Do does this diminish his trade value and the second part is if you were a team looking for a marquee receiver, would you pick up an Antonio Brown knowing that this could possibly be an issue in the future? Well, first I want to say that it's I find the timing is pretty impeccable given the issues that Antonio Brown has made perfectly clear about him with Ben Roethlisberger and the rest of that organization and also a few, a few months back, his backing of Le'Veon Bell's decision to sit out for the year. I just find that timing is absolutely impeccable and convenient. But if they were going to trade him, I think if you guys were looking for like a first or a second rounder, I don't think that was going to be the case at all because of his contract. Only probably like a desperate team feels like if they're a wide receiver away from actually contending for probably like a New Orleans Saints who – they needed somebody opposite of, of potentially a Michael Thomas that can actually be a threat over the middle to alleviate the pressure off that passing game from Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. But I don't see his trade value like really um, diminishing at all because the fact that there was no arrests during that situation. If there was like a legitimate police report, then I would actually say yes. But just no arrests, it seems way too fishy for me. But if I am a team that is looking for a marquee wide receiver, you're talking about one of the top five wide receivers in football. You're talking about a guy who year in and year out gets 100 catches like it's like it's nobody's business. The catch radius, the route running tree, probably in my opinion, second to only Larry Fitzgerald. I would definitely absolutely take a fly route to probably getting Antonio Brown. I think I'm always a big fan of, when you're unhappy and when you've been in a situation for so long, like Antonio Brown has been since 2010, change of scenery always works out for the best. Okay, all right. Uh, and Jerome, how do you how do you feel about it? So obviously, the situation is um, unfortunate. You know, you never want to uh, speculate on um, a situation that's not you know 100 uh, percent proven yet. Um, I think it's very unfortunate. Um, for for anybody, um, I think it, it, it's worse for the Steelers. I think this situation hurts the Steelers more than anybody. Antonio Brown is going to be on a team no matter what. Um, the question is, um, how will the Steelers be able to get anything for him? Like, if there have been cases when, you know, um, a person haven't got persecuted by or uh, arrested by the police, but the NFL still suspends them. So now a team had to look at that like, oh, well, he gets suspended, um, you know, yada, yada, yada. I think that he will be on a team, but will the Steelers be able to trade him before all this situation, you know, gets resolved? 
it, so now the Steelers are in a bad spot. Like, oh, we we're not, not we might not be able to trade him. We can't, you know, he don't want to be on a team, so he's not going to play for us. So what do we do now? I think they're in a really bad spot because I think, and like like um, Chris was saying, this comes at a really like interesting time because it's right before it's right before that free agency draft time where everybody starts looking at trades and things like that. Now this might even be pushed after the draft. So whatever the Steelers get, they might not even get nothing for this year. Like they might have to look into next year's draft picks to get rid of AB. So I think this whole situation hurts the Steelers more than anybody in the whole situation. Now teams don't know what to do. Um, they don't know the whole situation. They got to you know fill out the whole situation. So um, AB is going to get way. AB is going to get be on the team. He's going to get money either way. Even if he gets suspended, he's going to be on a team. It just now, it, 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 I think it's uh, like I say, I think it just hurts the Steelers more than anything. Well, I agree with the, both of you guys. I think that no matter what, Antonio Brown definitely gets on the team. Um, we all can agree, like I said, he's one of the marquee guys uh, at his position in the league. So I think he definitely gets on the team. I think also because the NFL, you know, they, they're so inconsistent when it comes to domestic violence cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they show that they really don't care uh, about uh, domestic violence unless there's a video, like if we're going to be honest here. Um, so I think, yeah, he definitely gets on the team. I do agree that it is a little bit fishy, um, you know, the timing of everything. Um, you know, and it's, it's funny because it's like, and I, I, you know, I hate to bring, I guess, pop culture into sports entertainment, but it, it's, it's relevant because we're talking about the subject. But we did, we saw a situation where, Chris Brown was falsely accused, you know, of, of rape, you know, quote unquote. And so it's a situation where it's like, you know, it's, and, and it all, that all came out after um, he had just received some accolades as well in his uh, personal life. So, it, like I said, I, I think that the timing is definitely fishy. However, if it is true, in fact, um, I do think, to, to Chris's point, it, it, it diminishes trade value in a, a little bit, but not. A lot. I mean, like I said, he's a marquee guy. Um, you know, I, obviously, I like. I, I agree with with Chris because of his age and the, the contract. I don't think they were ever going to get a first and second rounder for him in the first place, simply because of uh, unless there was a you know a team who was extremely desperate um, for that. But um, I don't like. To me, I don't think this is a huge issue. Um, but. Unless it's true, right? Because we don't want to speculate. But if it's true, um, I'm going to be honest, and then just just me, I I, probably, I think that would be the last straw for me. I would lose all respect for the guy. I mean, it's one thing to be passionate about the game and different things like that. Um, like you know, a lot of people say you know Odell is kind of a, a diva and different things. You've never seen Odell have an issue while winning. Odell does not like to lose. There's a difference. Antonio Brown will have a spaz out and the team is in the playoffs. Like that, stuff like that is annoying to me. Um, I don't really like the way he carries himself all the time. I don't like the way that he kind of, you know, treats and speaks about his teammates and even the organization, different things like that. Um, so th- for me, I mean, it's just personally, for me, it would be the last straw. I lose all respect. Not on the field, because on the field he's phenomenal, but as you know, as a person, it's kind of like, all right, you're over 30. This this stuff has got to it, – it's, it's one of those things we can't say, oh, he's a young man making a mistake. He's 30 years old. Um, 
get it together. And so it's just, it, it would be very frustrating if this is true because I, I don't want to not like him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to have to say, wow, I lost all respect for the guy because he seems so joyous all the time. He's got a wonderful smile, seems so energetic, seems like, you know, he just loves enjoying and uh, to enjoy life and different things like that. So if this is true, it would be very upsetting. But at the same time, I honestly, you know, I, if I'm going to be honest, I don't think it is. I think, you know, we all can agree that it's just the timing is extremely fishy and to Chris's point, until there's an, an actual arrest, um, an actual police report, then, you know, it's all speculation at this point. But, you know, with that being said, with that being said, um, I think that he needs to get a change of season. Uh, I think that he needs to get out of there. I, I like what, what Jerome said as far as, you know, the Steelers being hurt more than anything. Um, but I, I think Chris Chris's point is, is the more prevalent thing. Like, they, they he needs a new change of scenery. He needs to get out of there. San Francisco will be probably the best bet for him, I guess, if that's really what he's saying that he wants to go. If he really wants to go there, I would send him there, you know. And, and, and we're, we're talking aside from football, aside from the game, we're just talking about a man, a, a, a person who needs a change of scenery to get out of his own way. Um, and sometimes that, that's all you need. So um, I would love to see a change of scenery. Um, and I would love to see how this, this, this plays out. I, I'm, I'm very, very interested. So I'm definitely going to be tuning in. And all of you should be tuned in to the Air It Out podcast. I am Avery Collins for Jerome Drones and Christopher Thomas. Guys, check out the website. Check out the website. I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. Check out the website, www.insidethehashes.com. Follow us on Instagram at InsideTheHashes, on Twitter at InsideHashes. And if you want to just chop it up and talk some football, Inside the Hashes Football Talk on Facebook. Avery Collins over and out.